Last week, we uh, kicked off a, a series that we're going to be in for a while. It'll kind of move into our March for, Miri, March for Missions series as we get there in February and into March, as we move towards our Celebration Sunday. Uh, and, and in this series, what we're really exploring is, is what is the mission of God? God is on a mission, uh, and last week the challenge was, you know, this year, look for what God is doing in the world, and when you see God doing something in the world, join Him in seeing that thing done. Look for God's mission, and then get on board. And, and what we talked about last week is that this tends to be a different kind of vision than we often think of when it comes to living out the mission of God in the world. And, and I think the reason that that is, is when we ask the question, what is God's mission? A lot of times what we do is, is we kind of go back to an older uh, response of saying, well, God's mission is to send his son Jesus to die on a cross and save me from my sins, uh, which is true. And there's plenty of scriptures that tell us that. We know that that's true, and we're here because we believe that that's true. Uh, But if that's the full extent of God's mission, then I think we're missing a lot of pieces. I think we're missing a lot of pieces. And what I mean when I say that is, if that's what God is up to, then all I have to do is believe in Jesus and be saved, and then I can just try and do my best for the rest of my life and wait till I die, and I'll go to heaven and be with him forever. And that's true, and that's good, but it's limited. And so last week we looked at at Romans chapter 8, where the Apostle Paul is talking about the entire creation and what God is up to. And I want to just share a little bit of this with you in, in review, and then we'll move into what it means for what we're talking about today. Uh, in Romans 8, in verse 14, it says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Which says, first of all, this is that when the last page of Revelation was written and the, the early church took all the books of the Bible by all the writers that wrote them and put them into a single binding or scroll and they put it together and they said, that's it. That's God's word. That doesn't mean that God quit doing things. What what this text tells us is that for all of us who are uh, God's children, that we have his spirit in us, active and alive, working in us and through us to continue doing God's things in God's world. So God has a mission and we're called to join it. And and here's a little bit of, of what the mission should produce. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The creation is waiting for God's glory to show up in us. That that God is so convinced that if we see his mission and his spirit comes in us, that the whole world will see what we do and say, wow, that's what we've been waiting for is for these people to do these things. For the whole creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope 
that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. God's mission is that the whole world be set free from its frustration and bondage to decay and brought into our liberation as his people. Is it true that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save us from our sins so that we could go to heaven and live with him? Yes. Is that the limit of God's mission? No. God's mission is that his people, by the power of the Spirit living in them, will change the world and the world will see God because of what we do and how we live and how we love. That's a bigger calling. It's a bigger vision. And, and if you could imagine that, that then what God is up to, God's mission, is beyond what's written on these pages. It's beyond what's written in these pages. What if you had the whole book of the, of the story of God's mission in the history of humanity? What has God been up to in the 2,000 years since Jesus ascended to the cross and the church was formed and Peter and Paul wrote their letters and John wrote the, the revelation and all of those things happened. What if the story continued and we still had it of God's mission? What's he been doing in the world? Here's what I believe is I believe that every page you would turn would tell of the life of one of those followers. That the story of God's mission in the world happens in the lives of the people that claim Jesus as their Savior and Messiah and King. And what that means is, if we fast forward into our lives today, that if we had the whole book of God's mission in the world today, that one of those pages is your life. That one of the pages in the story of what God is doing in the world today is your life. It's your story. God is doing something in you to reveal his glory to a world that is crying out, begging to see the glory of the children of God revealed in us. Which means we've got a story to write. A story to live. What does your page say? What does your page tell? What is your story about? And, and here's what I want you to know is that, that so often what we think about when we think about what's your story and give your testimony uh, is something like, like this. Uh, I used to be a dirty, rotten scoundrel, and I ran around with hoodlums. And then I got converted, and now I'm less of a scoundrel, and I hang out with other people who are less scoundrelly too. Better than I used to be. Um, okay, that's good. That should all happen at some point in the story. Um, there's also times when God's people go back and hang out with scoundrels for missional purposes, but, you know, for simplicity's sake. I used to be bad, now I'm better. I got converted in the middle. That's the story. Now, here's, here's the thing, is that if what is happening in the world today is more than I was lost and then I got saved and now I'm better, which is true. But if it's more than that, if what God is doing in the world is that he's trying to change the world, then how he's going to do that in your life is also going to be different. And how you think about your story needs to reflect that different understanding of how God operates in the world and in our lives. And so when we get to 1 Peter 
chapter 3, which was read earlier today, uh, Peter is writing to these Christians and he tells them, starting in verse 15, he says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That's important in the world that we live in today. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Just briefly what this means is when we take our story to the world, we shouldn't take our story to the world using the tools and mechanisms of Satan, like anger, judgment, conceit, arrogance, um, pride, division, those things, those are Satan's tools. Uh, We're not going to win the world for Jesus using Satan's tools. What we've got to do is learn the ways to tell our story with gentleness and love and with such goodness in the way that we're living our life that if someone says those Christians are vile, that the people around them look at them and say, listen, you may not believe what they believe, but let's at least agree that they believe it. And listen, they're not doing any harm in the world. In fact, they're making the world better because they're revealing their God's glory in the way that they live and love. That's the goal here. And part of that is, is understanding the reason for the hope that you have. And so Peter puts in this text this idea that we as God's people, that part of our charge of being the kind of people in the world that are evangelistic and that are living out his glory and are representing Jesus, need to first and foremost know the reason for the hope we have. And, and is the reason that I once was lost and now I'm saved and I'm going to heaven? Yes. But is it more than that? Yes. Because God's done more in you so that you can do more with him. So what does that look like? What is that bigger version of the reason for your hope looks like? And, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But before we get to that, I want to take just a minute and let you see that it's not just the giving a reason for the hope that you have to people uh, in the world and people that need it and people that lack faith. There's also uh, an important reason to know your story in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses is telling the people uh, who have just come out of Egypt how they're going to be God's people and how he's going to be their God. And one of the most important commands he gives them here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 picks up in verse 4. Uh, The Shema, hear, O Israel, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. He says, listen, tell your kids. Tell them who God is. Tell them what God's done. Tell them what God desires. Tell them the journey you've been on. Tell them about Egypt. Tell them about the plagues. Tell them about the Red Sea. Tell them about the law that that you're going to receive at Sinai and the promised land that he's going to deliver you into. He's going to say, look, you're about to go to a land where you're going to live in houses you didn't build. You're going to reap the harvest of fields that you didn't sow. God's going to give this to you. Will you tell your children the story? Will you impress faith on them? 
there's, there's a tendency today, I've heard this in several places, uh, I don't want to pass my faith to my kids. Uh, I want to let them develop a faith of their own and choose their own faith and figure that out yourself. Uh, listen, you don't let your kids choose how, whether or not they walk across the street safely. Which is more important, that your kid can safely cross the street or that your kid has a, a lifelong and an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ? If we don't want to pass our faith to our kids, the only reason I can think, if you think that, that matters of faith are eternally significant and you don't want to pass your faith to your kids, it can only be because you think you don't have a faith worth giving. And that's scary too. Get your stuff together so that you've got something valuable enough that you think about your kids and think, I don't want you to have anything in this world other than the relationship I have with Jesus Christ. And you give it to your kids. And here's how you do it. You learn your story and you tell them your story. You tell them when you're putting them to bed. You tell them when you wake up. You tell them when you're at home and on the road. You write it on your doorpost and you write it uh, on your face and on your hands. And everywhere that you can, you find little ways in every moment, every day, to tell your kids who God is and what he's done. Your story, let it become their story. And, and you tell your kids you know, you're smart. You know why you're smart? Because God made you that way. And that, just saying that to your kid is giving them a little piece of their story. They own that and they receive it. And then later they're going to give that story to someone else because that's the pattern that God is giving us. Know your story. Create your story. Share your story. Join God in his mission because you're one of his pages. You're one of his pages. And this isn't, this isn't original. Paul does this. Paul is, you have to consider Paul to be one of the greatest evangelists of all time, and certainly of the New Testament, uh, writing all kinds of books and letters to the churches. He's the evangelist to the Gentiles, which is us, people that aren't Jews. Uh, but he's also a Jew. Uh, and he's preaching to anyone who will listen, and he's telling them God's story. But if you start reading Paul's letters in the New Testament, Romans and the letters to the Corinthians and the Thessalonians and, and, and the Timothy, one of the things you'll find is that not only is he telling God's story, and not only is he preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected, but Paul infuses all of those letters with Paul's story. Paul understands that what God has done in his life is part of what he needs to give to all of the people that will listen to, to who he is and what he's done. And, and so there's this list that's in your bulletin. If you go to bulletin today, you'll notice there's an insert in it. There's an insert in it. And if you haven't looked inside your bulletins because you've been paying so much attention, good for you. That's exciting. I, I'm excited about the surprised faces who just found a treat in their bulletin. Um, and Eddie, do we have more bulletins? If you want one, you can kind of, they're going to go around and hand out a few more. Just raise your hand as they kind of pass by. Uh, here's, here's what I want you to see. There is a bullet list. Go to the side. There's two sides. Go to the list that has kind of the bullet points on the front. And this list has a number of questions. How would you describe your life prior to the, your relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior? Uh, when and how did you become a Christian? What word best describes the part of your life since you became a Christian? But then moving into other things that maybe we don't think about when we think about our story. 
Who makes up your significant circle for friendship and encouragement? And how have they impacted your faith journey? That's part of your story. God has worked in you through the relationships, the Christian relationships that he's blessed you with in your life. You have been part of God's story and how you've had relationships and blessed and ministered to others that are close to you. Where do you experience a sense of accomplishment in your spiritual life or Christian walk? That's part of your story. What roles have you played in a Christian community? Have you experienced a significant faith or life crisis that has shaped your faith or spirituality? Do you have a glimpse of God's purpose or mission for your life? How is your relationship with the world different because of your relationship with God? There's others. That's, that's just a few. And, and let me tell you, this list is not exhaustive. It's not like don't use other questions. Here's what I want you to do is I want you to begin as you reflect on this list, and I hope that you do. I hope you don't just throw it away when you get home. I hope that you think about this list and add more questions, add more ideas. What are the ways that God has worked in you and around you and in you to others and in others through you? What book of the Bible connects with you the most? What character in Scripture, what person in Scripture uh, that their page has had the biggest influence on how you live out your page in the story? Be thinking about, man, God has been doing so many things in my life that I've taken for granted, that I haven't even thought about. My page in God's story is so much richer than I've ever realized. Add to the list and then come up with the answers. Come up with the answers. Because what we see in Paul is that Paul is going to do this as well. Paul uh, believes that one of the most effective ways that he can tell people what God is up to in the world is by saying, let me show you, he's been doing this in me. He's been doing this in my life. And so just in the book of Acts, uh, there's three times that Paul's conversion story gets told. The first one's not him. It's just Luke saying, this is what happened. But you can bet that he heard it from Paul. Paul told me this is what happened. Now I'm writing about it. Uh, in Acts 22 and 26, Paul actually, it's the record of Paul giving his story of his conversion to other people. The first time is when he gets arrested in Acts 22 and he's, he's standing uh, before the mob that wants him to be arrested and probably killed. There's some in there that are going to take a vow that they won't eat until they, they kill him. And Paul says, wait, I need to talk to these people for a minute. And he doesn't tell them why they shouldn't be mad at him or why they, they should calm down. What he does as soon as they're quiet is he tells them his story. I was on the road to persecute God's people. And on the road, I, met, I saw Jesus. And Jesus spoke to me. And I became blind. And I went to town. And I became baptized. You know, I'm a Christian. And now I'm one of the people I wanted to kill and destroy, preaching the gospel that I thought was the most dangerous thing in the world. And I'm getting uh, punished for it. He says, you need to hear my story. And a few chapters later, after that arrest, he ends up before King Agrippa. And Agrippa, who has the opportunity to set him free uh, or to, uh, to punish him in any way that he wants. Agrippa says, what's the deal here, Paul? Paul says, I'll tell you the story. If you're asking me for my story, just get your whole uh, royal court in here and I'll tell you why I'm here. And he tells them the story of his conversion. And he's not telling it like, let me tell you what happened this one day uh, sometime in the past. He's not saying, just let me tell you the story. You'll think it's interesting. Agrippa understands. 
Agrippa's response in Acts 26, after Paul tells him the story of his conversion, he says, Paul, do you think that I'm going to convert to being a Christian so easily? Is that what you want, just to tell me your story and expect me to become a Christian? Agrippa understands that Paul's story is intended to produce faith in him. Paul says, let me be clear. I'm not trying to convert you. I'm trying to convert everybody in the room. The whole room. I hope that they become everything I am except for arrested. I want them to become everything I am except for in these chains. Everything else I want for them. That's exactly what I want. His story is at the heart of his evangelistic plea. When he writes to the Galatians, uh, in chapters 1 and 2 of Galatians, it starts with the story about where he came from, who he was before. Uh, He says, listen, I, I received the gospel as revelation from Jesus, not from a really good preacher. That gives me greater authority. It's from the source. He says, listen, I, in Judaism, I persecuted the church. I was a really great Pharisee. In matters of the law, I was excelling and moving beyond other people of my rank. I was doing really well. And I gave that up. You know why? Because this is real. He says, and listen, I, I started going and preaching to Gentiles because God wanted me to. You know what I would have done when I was a Jew? Not preach to Gentiles. You know what I do now? I preach to Gentiles. Why? Because this Jesus on the road was real. And, and I, I went to Arabia and I received more of what God wanted me to do. I didn't get it from the apostles in Jerusalem. Because I eventually went there and we talked. It was good. Talked to Cephas a lot, James a little. I left, went back 14 years later. When I went back, we talked more about what does it mean for Jews and Gentiles to be Christians together. All of this is happening in the story of what he did and conversations he had and relationships he formed. To the church in Galatia, which is having a difficult time with what happened in Jerusalem and Antioch and all over the world, Paul says, listen, let me tell you the history of where we've been because I think it'll help you understand where we're going. Here's some of my story. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, Paul's defending himself against people that are accusing him. And he says, listen, I, I, I don't want to boast, but if you're going to make me, I'll boast. Here's what I'll boast about is that God's given me visions and taken me to see things that you can't imagine. And, and he's taken me to see those. But you want me to really boast? Here's my real boast is that God's also given me weaknesses. He gave me a thorn in my side and I hate it. I begged him to take it away and he won't. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, so keep the thorn, do your ministry. And Paul says, look, my strengths and my weaknesses, they're part of my story. And so I stand before you today, and when you say that I'm not a good minister or a good Christian, here's what I want you to know. I am doing the best that I can. At one other place, he calls himself the hardest working of the apostles, which is one of my favorite Paul statements ever. Um, He says, listen, how hard I work my strengths and my spiritual insights, but also my weaknesses and the thorns in my side, they're all part of who I am, and I just lay it bare before you because my story is part of you understanding who God is and what he's done, and you're going to understand it by what he's done in me. He keeps, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul even takes his marital status in 1 Corinthians 7. Um, and this is just to give you an extent of how much Paul infuses himself into his ministry. Is he's like, look, I understand that some of you need to be married, and if you're married, you know that it's a distraction from everything, including mission trips. Um, that's Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, so here's a command I ha- or here's an opinion I have, and he pulls back and he says, not from God. This is my opinion. 
Paul infuses his story so much into what he's doing in his evangelism message that sometimes he even goes, this isn't even from God. I'll just tell you, if you can stay single and just focus on the gospel, do that. You'll probably get more done. And that's Paul. That's just, that's just Paul's opinion. And he puts it in there. Even his marital status is part of his story and part of how he disciples people. Now, if you're married, stay married. Okay, Paul wants you to do that too. It comes up somewhere else. Uh, actually, same chapter. Uh, it's there. Stay married. First Corinthians 11, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me in everything and holding to the traditions as I pass them on to you. There's a faith crisis among young people in our world today. There's lots of books. Uh, if you want to sell a really popular book today, start with this. Uh, half of all young adults leave the church and never come back. Uh, this book tells you the secret to bringing them back. Uh, that book will sell a lot of copies. Um, but Paul's got something here that may in those, be in those books and may not. If you're a parent, follow Christ in such a way that you can say to your kids, follow my example as I follow Jesus. Right now, you may not have the faith that I have, but I need you to believe that I have the faith that I claim to have. Because when you're decentered, you'll, you'll come back to that. Paul understands that his story should become the story of the people behind him. And that they should be able to say, I follow Paul as he follows Christ, and so you follow me as I follow Paul following Christ. And there should be this chain of disciples that are following the ones who follow others. And it's not just about understanding what's in the Bible. It's about finding faith heroes that are worthy of stepping in line behind them and taking steps in the way that they're walking in the direction they're going. You can't do that kind of Christianity if you're not telling each other your stories. If you're not telling stories, what's your page? Romans 16, to the end of Romans, he's got this whole list of greetings that he's sending to the church uh, in Rome. He says, listen, I, I want to remember some of these incredible relationships that have blessed me along the way, and I want you to know who they are. Send greetings to Sister Phoebe who's a deacon in the church of Sincre and who has been a benefactor of many people, and Paul says, including me. She's helped fund my ministry. I want to remember Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and wife who are co-workers of Paul, who risk their own lives for him and for Gentile Christians. He mentions Adronicus and Junia, fellow Jewish Christians who were with Paul in prison, who he says are outstanding even among the apostles, having been in Christ, Paul says, even longer than I have. And, and, and that's just a few. There's this list that goes on and on. And it's these w men and women uh, in the church that have had an incredible impact on Paul. We think so much about the impact that Paul had on the church and that Paul had on the scripture and that Paul had on the world. And Paul says, you need to know that part of me having an impact on the world is that Phoebe helped finance my ministry. That, that when I was in prison, uh, that Andronicus and Junia were there with me and their suffering blessed me and encouraged me and the ministry that they take from that place is so important. The people that God has surrounded me with matter to me and have made a difference in me and they're part of my page in God's mission. I, I'm not here without them. And he gives them honor and recognition and praise 
when you look at these texts, here's what you see is that Paul uses his past. He uses his presence. He uses his weakness, his strengths, his conversions, his friendship, his spiritual challenge, his sufferings, his, his, all of it. Paul takes all that God's given them and he wraps it into his story and then he infuses the gospel with what God has done in him and through him. Because our stories are part of who God is and what he's doing. The mission of God is written on the pages of the lives of the followers of Jesus Christ. But if we don't know our story, how do we share it? And if we know our story and we don't tell anyone, what good have we done? The mission of God becomes a book that nobody's reading. Because we're not writing, creating, and sharing. The back of this, this handout has some challenges. These are just ideas. Uh, you may read some of these and go, that's exactly how I want to create my story and use it to bless others. Uh, you may read this and, and go, that doesn't work. I, I don't want to do that. I want to, I'm a famous YouTuber. I want to tell my story on YouTube. That's fine. Be a famous YouTuber for Jesus. If you don't know what that is, then you should pick one of these choices. Listen, here's the thing. If, you, if you're going to take this challenge, if you're going to take this challenge to, to reflect on your story, create your story, and share your story, start with prayer. Start with prayer. Regardless of, of where you are in your situation in life, ask that God will open your eyes to the places he's been in your past, your present, and where he wants to be in your future so that you can see him and not just see yourself. God, show me who you are and where you've been in my life. God, let me see what you've been writing on my page in your story that maybe I haven't even noticed or been aware of. And it may be that as you start thinking about this, you're going to think, God, I, I want things to be on my page right now that aren't. There are things I wish I was doing for you and your kingdom that I'm not doing. God, I need your help to start doing the things that I'm not currently doing. Uh, maybe you, as you start thinking about this, what God gives you, what God gives you is the name or the face of someone who needs to hear your story. And if you do that, then ask God, God, as I form this story, give me the courage to share it with the person who needs it and give them the willingness to listen. And God, you create the opportunity. And when it's there, help me to step into it. Start with prayer. Um, if you're a parent of young kids, here's what I know, is that you don't have any time to do anything. Okay. So when it comes to creating something in your life, it may be that you have time right now and margin in your life right now that you're like, I want to use some of my free time to do this or create free time to do that. Uh, most of you are sitting there right now thinking crazy preachers trying to give me one more thing to do. Okay. If that's the case, what I would encourage you to do is take that list of questions and maybe come up with 20 more and make those conversation prompts and put some of them on your dining room or kitchen table. Put some of them in your car. Put some of them by your kid's bed. And just pick one. One a day, you just grab it and you ask the question. And, and you let, maybe let your kids pick which question they want to ask you. Ask the question and then answer to your kids. Let them ask you, who are the circle of people that God has put in your life that bless you and that strengthen you and disciple you in, in Jesus? 
And then you tell them, this is who it is. And then ask them, what about you? Who are your people? And have that conversation. And when it's done, put them to bed and go have some relaxing time, okay? You know, don't stress about this. But find little ways every day as you wake up and as you're on the road and as you're at home and when you're away and when you're all of these Deuteronomy 6 moments, grab a little page out of this story and give it to your kids. Help them to form their story by watching how you form yours. Uh, But listen, here's the thing. If you're an older, if you're one of our older members that has adult kids or grandkids, I want to really encourage you to create your story in a way that can become a family heirloom. If you've got time to do this, and several months ago I was in a small discussion with some of the women of our church whose children are uh, not as faithful to the church as they wish they were. Uh, and, and one of them was, was pouring out their heart about this and said, I used to pray all the time, God, let my kids come to faith while I'm alive so that I can see them. I want to see my kids back in the church while I'm alive. And she said, I've come to realize that it doesn't matter whether I'm alive or not when it happens. All I pray now is, God, let my kids come to faith, period. I don't need to see it. I don't need to be a part of it. Let them do that. But, but let me, and it, that's stuck in my head. And in fact, that comment was at the very, uh, was kind of the seed that was planted in me that led to this conversation and lesson I want to encourage you, if you're one of our adults, as adult kids and grandkids, create your story in a way that you can give it to them and they can give to their children, maybe their children's children, in a way that your faith legacy gets handed down so that you have an opportunity for your story to speak to them about who God is and what he did for you even after you're gone. Or maybe while you're still here, but maybe in a way that that's the gentleness and, and respect that Peter's talking about, that you have a difficult time communicating it to them face-to-face, uh, that it comes out as conflict and judgment when you intend it as grace and love. Write it down. Create it. Put pictures in it. Don't just type it and email it because an email is too easy to lose and delete. Put it in, in your handwriting. Put your pictures on it. Uh, turn it into a scrapbook. I don't know. Uh, your creativity is greater than mine. And it's yours, but make it yours in a way that can make it theirs and hand your faith legacy to them in a way that shows them that you know your story and you've prayed about it and you've given it to them and you let God work through it. And you pray and you just, you just ask God, God, let my story be a blessing to them as they form your, their page in your book of your mission in this world. Maybe it's something else completely. However you do it, here's, here's the challenge. Pray, reflect, create, and share your story. Because your story is one page in God's mission to redeem this world. And what I believe is that the world is waiting in eager expectation for the glory of God to be revealed in his people. But if you don't have a story that you've ever put together, and if you're unwilling to share it, then the pages of God's mission will go unread. The pages of God's mission will be unread. If you're here today and you need help writing your story in any way, please come forward this morning as we stand and sing.